You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Amen? Amen. All right, go ahead, have a seat, and turn to that passage, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. And as you're turning there, let me give you a phrase, or uh, three phrases that I want you to hang on to, uh, kind of hangers for the remainder of our morning together. Three phrases. I want you to repeat these after me. Everybody say, and say it nice and loud. Say, look back. back. Say, look up. up. And say, I'm sorry. Whoa, I messed up. All right, let's try this again. Everybody say, look back. back. Let go. go. And look up. One more time. Look back. back. Let go. go. And look up. Good. I'm doing that for myself because I need to remember this. Um, All right, so... I'm, and and we'll, we're going to fill that in as we go throughout our passage this morning. A few years ago, a bunch of my friends from church and I, uh, we decided to do something called a Tough Mudder. Has anybody, ever hear, has anybody here ever heard of a Tough Mudder? Has anybody ever run a Tough Mudder? Yes! I've, I've, that does not surprise me, some of you guys. All right. We've got to talk afterward. Uh, so, a Tough Mudder is not just any race. It is, it's 13 miles, the one that I did was 13 miles with 26 maniacally designed obstacles in those 13 miles. And as the name suggests, it is characterized by gobs and gobs of mud. Uh, this is a before picture of our, of our team, nice and happy and clean. Uh, we, got our, we just got our numbers, so we're showing off our numbers. And then this is a picture halfway through of, our, of the same team. Uh, at the halfway point as we were running our way along. And I remember there was a, there was a moment where uh, one of the obstacles, it was this huge wall that was, it was made with white-coated wood. It had this like plastic sheen on the outside, of, of the, on the side that faced you, this wall. It was 80 feet long, 40 feet tall, and it had every 10 feet, there was a, there was a bar at the bottom, and every 10 feet, there was a, uh, a line of, or a bar of two by fours that were screwed into the wall. Every, 10 feet so that it was too far that you, can't, you couldn't just reach it and grab it, right? Um, but it was close enough that with some help from a friend, you could. You had to go through a pond of mud in order to get to this wall, and then you had to ascend over the wall with your, with your team. And, uh, and you're usually helping other teams out and other people out and stuff as we go. And so... There was a moment where I was, I was like three quarters of the way up this wall. I, was, I had my feet on one of the bars and there was a guy whose feet were on my shoulders above me, not on our team, and we were helping other people up. And, and I remember, I remember, I remember, I remember I pause, pause just a second. second. I could see the Philadelphia city skyline. This is where, where we just moved from uh, last year. I could see the Philly city skyline. It was this, on this beautiful, historic uh, horse ranch. There's this crisp spring morning we're out there with all these dudes, we're laughing, we're having fun, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. Like, this is just so fun. We're, you know, this is, what a great experience. What a great opportunity. And, you know, you're feeling good, you're, you're being stretched, you're ready for it, you're prepared, and, and here you are, you know, I'm, it just, it was wonderful. But then, in that same exact moment, as I'm thinking those thoughts, the guy above me tries to overtake the wall. He grabs onto the top, starts pulling himself up, and he slips, and I hear this, ah! and so I, I turn and look, and he, he's, he's sliding down the wall toward me, 
decides to try to stop himself with his feet on my face <laughs> and sticks his big muddy foot right into and his, and, and his, his shoe right in, my, right in my face. And you know, immediately mud, gritty, sandy mud gets in my eyes, gets in my mouth, and he, and, and he just keeps on going, slides down. And, and, but as a result, knocks me off balance. And I slipped. And, now, and I couldn't see, and I slipped, and I, and I hit that rail that was right under my feet. I started sliding down. The, the, the wall was at a pretty steep angle. And I start sliding down. And that, I hit that rail, and it hurt. And I was sliding, and I thought, oh, there's another rail. And so I tried scrambling for it, and I couldn't find it. And I nailed it, and it hurt. And I kept sliding, gaining more speed, and there was, at the bottom, there was a big old bench, and I knew it was coming, and I couldn't see it, and I nailed it, and it hurt, and I, it, like, and I, I will tell you, without going into much detail, I had, like, a third butt cheek after this <laughs> for, for, like, the next two weeks. It was awful. And just purple, yellow, bruised, you know, like that dripping, weird grossness. It was awful. I, I, I landed in the puddle of mud, totally winded, could hardly breathe, get, couldn't get my feeding, footing, couldn't see. I was getting stepped on by somebody else. Finally, one of my buddies came and like ripped me up out of this, out of this mud, cleared my eyes and just enough to be able to catch my breath and stuff like that. And, and... You know, yeah, he like pats me on the back and is like, come on, let's go. And so we, we just, I, we, without thinking about it, we just kept going right back up the wall. Finally overtook the wall and started running. And I was, in, I was in so much pain. I was in so much pain. And I didn't want anybody to know, right? I didn't want my dudes to, I didn't want to let them down. We got three miles left, just a few obstacles to go. Come on, let's just, let's do this. Let's finish it. But I will say, in that moment, and it wasn't just like, I wasn't like, rah, 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 this is awful, right? Like it was like, I was... There was some serious, like I had, these, I, had, I had a moment, a long moment, like 10 minutes moment, where I was looking across the horse ranch, I could see the flags, I could see where like the finish line area was. And I, you know, we're heading on this loop that's gonna eventually take us around to there, but I'm thinking, do I just tap out? Like, this is, just moments ago I was like, this is so cool, and now I'm like, this is awful. I hate this. I can't believe I spent money on this. <laughs> and I, I was looking at those flags thinking, I could just walk over there right now. And all my guys would understand. They saw what happened. They were all like, oh man, that was awful. Are you okay? You know, they, they, they knew. They could see me limping. They would, they'd be sympathetic, right? I would get that t-shirt. I would steal it if I had to. I, I paid for it. <laughs> But I was, like, I was in my head. I was, I was up in my head in that moment because of the pain that I was in. Pain adds a terrible dimension to our race. And the writer of Hebrews knows this. It can be distracting and demotivating and dismantling of our morale, distracting of our focus, and embittering even. And if we're not careful, we can actually point to the pain and say, that's the cause. And I can't do anything about it. There's this third party objective thing that happened or is happening. So I'm not to blame. That's, that's to blame, right? Not me, that, that's to blame. 
we, and it's, it's easy for us to get to that point where we can start to, to get to that space where we're like, is this worth it? What if, I, what if I just take off my, take my foot off the gas just a little bit? Like I'm, I am where I am as a Christian. I can just, I can just cruise. Like I can, I, can, I can cruise. I think, I mean, God is good. He's forgiving. He'll understand. He knows what I went through. He designed it. He allowed it. So I'll just, I'll keep my attitude. I'll just keep my head down and I'll just go. Right? Like we, it, and some of, some of you have experienced, some of you are right now experiencing this. Right? You're tired of getting picked on at school. You're a student. You're tired of getting picked on at school for, for not participating in certain, not speaking certain ways, not laughing at certain awful jokes. You're tired of it. You're tired of being ostracized or, or at work. You're tired of getting, like, not included in the, like, that inner ring, that inner circle because of some of the things that you have just, you've chosen, you've refused to do. And it hurts. And you're getting passed over for promotions or whatever. And it, and, and it hurts. Or you're a spouse, you're a wife at home, and you just wish your husband would step up to the plate and, and, be, and, and, and lead and serve and love and be present and engaged and you're trying to, and you're like pulling the yoke ahead of him for years, and you're tired. And you look at this like what you feel like is a dead weight, and you're like, Lord, come on. You're t- and, right? Like you, some of you are experiencing this kind of pain and hurt and wounding. Or there's church hurt, which is awful, right? Where you've seen something or you've heard something that you wish you could unsee. And it's somebody who should have been something, somebody who is, a higher, is held to a higher standard. And it hurts. And, you, and sometimes you feel like, I just, like, what's the point? Is this worth it? Right? Is the pain worth it? And so you say, it's just, I mean, it's just really easy to say, well, I tried, right? Like, I'm tired. I, like, what use is this? I know Jesus is coming back. I love him still. I'm not going anywhere, but I'm just not going to be as, like, gung-ho. And that, that's exactly what's happening in this church. The church that this little church in Italy that the writer of Hebrews is writing to, we know it's in Italy. He writes to the, you know, at the very end, he says, say hello to the other believers in Rome. So he's writing to this little church. They're beat up, they're weary. And then in the coming chapters, we're going to learn that they were getting picked on for their faith. Some of them were even being put in jail because of their faith. And so it's as if they're asking, is this, is it worth it? Is he worth it? Like, I keep sticking my neck out. Like, like, should I just, what if I just don't take it so seriously? What if I modify life a little? What if I skip some of this? Like, what, what if I keep my head down just a little bit? It hurts. God would understand, right? Surely he would understand. And so they're, as a result, they're beginning to, they're doing it. They're taking their foot off the gas and they're beginning to, in his words, they're beginning to drift, and we saw this all through the scripture, right? In, in Hebrews 2, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it, right? Just, just coast. If your foot's not on the gas, you're not dialed in, you're drifting. If, that, if, that's, if you're not dialed in. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So you hear it in these words, like drift, neglect. We must pay much closer attention. You hear this concern for the church in these words that, 
they're not heeding the word anymore, right? They're not dialed in. They're not focused. They're, they're not alert. They're weary. They're tired. They're getting distracted. They're, and their foot's off the gas. Are you, are you drifting? Is it like when you, they're, they're waking up in the morning and they're just drifting. They're just doing their thing. Are you waking up in the morning and just kind of doing your thing? Just living life, getting through, getting to the end of the day. Are you drifting? Now, how did, how, so how did this happen? I mean, they were loving Jesus. They were enjoying God's grace. They were seeing the goodness of God. But then life got hard, right? Faith got hard. And suddenly, following Christ had a cost. So they're asking, is it worth it? So do you have that? So that's, that's the church that he's writing to, right? Like, like, do you have that in mind as, as we hear these words? Like, this is the context. And we can share it. We can say, man, that, that feels really familiar. I can get on board with that. I, I, I get that. So let's read again the end of verse 1, because this is really, this is the main point of the passage. And we'll reword it a little bit for our own sake this morning. But the end of verse 1 says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, this command, it doesn't, obviously now, we see the context. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. This command so he's saying, let's run, right? Let's, let's gun. Let's get after it. Let's run. This command does not, it's, it doesn't come out of the blue. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of this passion, this heartache, this concern. He's looking at this church. He's seeing the danger that's ahead for them if they just continue to drift. And he's saying, I don't want this for you. I love you too much to let you continue in this direction. So let me snap you out of this and say, let's run. Come on, wake up. Let's run. Let's be alert. Stay alert. Let's get to it, right? There's a real enemy who's prowling, for the weary who are going to droop behind, he's after you. Wake up. Let's run. So here's the big idea. This is what we're going to see. The, the point of the whole passage is describing why and how we run through the finish line. Why and how we run <clears throat> through the finish line. And, and we're going to break it into three parts. Give me just, just to help you remember it and to help me remember it. Let's go through the three points again. Ready? It's... Look back. Everybody say, look back. Let go. And look up. One more time. Say it nice and loud. Look back. Let go. And look up. All right, so let's look at uh, point number one is look back. So look back. And when we say look back, we're talking about looking back to these saints. Right? In verse one, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who's he talking about? He's talking about, and, and you can see this in the first word, therefore, like after everything I've just told you in chapter 11, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's talking about all the people of faith that we just read about in chapter 11. And, and I want to I take you there, but, but capture this in your mind. You, just, you need to know this. We're actually going to go back right now. We're going to go back to verse 32 of chapter 11, because that was the, the portion that we're supposed to cover today. Um, and and as, as we do, keep, keep two things in mind. One, all 11 verses that we're going to read today are very descriptive. They're, they're rich and robust. There's only one command in the original language, only one imperative, they would say, in the, in the original language through all 11 of these verses, and it's the word run. So everything that he's saying is describing why we run or how we run, but the idea is run, run. So keep that in mind. Second thing to keep in mind is I, I want you to, as, we, as I read Hebrews 11, uh, 32 and following, listen for the, 
the, the turn, the shift that happens right in the middle of verse 35. Listen to this. He says, and what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained the promises, shut, stopped the mouths of lions. Thinking of Daniel. Quenched the power of the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword. Were made strong out of weakness. Became mighty in war. Put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And then there's this, there's this turn. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Do you, do you hear the turn? Do you hear the pain? Right? They were stoned. They were sawn in two. That's how Isaiah, the prophet, passed. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. All of this, those of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So do you, do you hear what he's doing? He's saying, and, and I guess, think of it in these terms. When he's saying, we're surrounded by so, so great a cloud of witnesses. The word, the word witness has two potential ways to look at it. Either, they, he could say, we're surrounded by these witnesses. These are people who are, either they are, they are seeing something, right? They are, they're witnesses. They've seen this thing. You can witness, you can witness something or you can like witness about something and say, like, let me testify to, let me witness to you and testify to you about what I've heard or about what I've been through. And if you read through the context of chapter 11, you, you see the way that he uses that, that, it's the same word, it's actually the word martyr, marturion. And the, the verb, <coughs> pardon me, the verb form of the word martyr, when he uses that in chapter 11, it's always, it's always the second understanding, not the first one, not the ones like, hey, I've seen a thing. It's, let me say this. So it's, it's, not, it's not that, I mean, it would be a really cool idea that there are all these saints that are there watching you, cheering you on, like, like they're surrounded in this, in this big stadium who are like, go, you've got this. And they're watching you right now. But that's actually not, as cool as that would be, that'd be a fantastic idea. That's not what he's saying. He's saying instead, he's saying, it's like, it's like there are these, I mean, there are these testimonies, real people, real lives, who have been through real pain, real stuff, both success and suffering. And God, by faith, God sometimes delivered them, and by faith, God sometimes held their hand all the way through to death itself, right? By faith, still. They're... Like, they're heroes, by faith. And they are, right now, living testimonies of the goodnesses of God to you. So, 
When, as, you know, when you think about this, and essentially what he's saying is you're, you're running this race, you're, you're going along, you're getting weary, but here we've got, like, think about, consider, look back to all these testimonies, all these things that we've just, we've just read about, these men and women, these heroes of the faith who would say, like Abraham, listen, Abraham would say, I was, I was so old, I thought I was done. I thought I was on the back shelf. Like, I thought I was, like, I had lived my life, I was, I was as Hebrews says, I was as good as dead. Like, I'm just, I'm there toward the end of my life. I thought I was done. But God, he's, he intervened. He chose to use even me at my age. Keep going. If you feel, you feel like you're old, you feel like you're done with, you feel like you've put in your time, no. Keep going. Some, it's possible. You've only got two years left on this planet, and they may be the best two years yet in your life with Christ. You get after it. Go. Abraham would say, trust him and run. Right? Or Gideon would say, Gideon, I'd be like, I, I was so weak-spined. Like I, was, I, like, I wanted to trust God, but I wasn't sure, so I kept, I was like, Lord, can, can I test you in this? Can you, can you wet this fleece, but keep everything dry? Can you make the fleece dry, but keep everything else wet? Can you please, Lord, just prove yourself? Prove, I'm, not, I just, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. And Gideon would say, listen, if he could use even me, this weak-spined, unsure, anxious dude, to go and conquer armies and free Israel, then, then you, even though you're anxious, I, I can see you struggling with anxiety. I can see you. You're not sure. Trust him. I'm a testament to his trustworthiness. Trust him. Run. Get after it. Go. Right? Or, or Rahab. Listen, if you, if you knew my background, how dark my background was. And God forgave even me and he used me and, and maybe part of his family grafted me in. If he could forgive me, he can forgive you. He can forgive that thing. He could use you. You're not done. Trust him and run, right? So, so that's what all of these testimonies is saying. Look back at the saints. Look back and, and see these, these, these saints of old who are saying, go, get after him. So everybody, say it nice and loud. Everybody say, look back. Look back. Now say, let go. And this is where our second point comes in. Let go. When he says let go, we're, we're looking at verse one again where he says, let us also lay aside Every, and he says two words here, every weight and sin which clings so closely. These are two words, not the same, not the same idea, two separate concepts, two different obstacles of the Christian life. Let's talk about, we're going to talk about the sin first. It's a little easier, a little more black and white. And what's interesting is, in the original language, uh, it actually says the sin, like specifically, not just sin in general. He says let us also lay aside every weight and the sin. I wish that was in the ESV. It's not captured there. But the sin, which clings so closely. But scholars say, okay, that leads us to believe that he's, what he's getting at is not just sin in general that you should be repenting from, which we should be repenting from. He's saying, what is, he's basically asking, what is your, what is your sin? What's that thing? What's that temptation? That, that, that gets to you, a sin that's very personal, a sin that's very individualized, that you tend to fall prone to. Some translations use the word besetting sin, the one that plagues you and will probably you'll have to war against for the rest of your life as long as you've got breath. What is that thing? Let's get after that, Right? So here, now, ask yourself, take some time right now, just let your mind go there, and still listen to me, but let your mind go there. What are the things that you are most tempted by? And it's probably something 
That's, that is, I mean, it is. It's something that's unique to you. Stuff that I wouldn't necessarily struggle with. Some of you struggle with. And things that I struggle with, a lot of you would never even would never dream of struggling with or have never struggled with. It's, it's, it's your specific sin. What is that? I've got, I've got good news and bad news. Which do you want to hear first? The bad news, of course, right. So the bad news is this sin will never go away on its own. Sin does not go away on its own. Sin does not, you can't, you never, you don't drift into sinlessness or to, into freedom from sin. You have to go to war against this sin, this besetting sin. The good news is that you in Christ have everything available to go to war and to succeed. And he, he, like, he's laid this out for us, right? That if we, if we if, and it begins, step one is confessing. Like confess literally means to, con is with, fess, like fess up means to speak. So to confess means to speak with, it's to say the same thing. So you're saying what God is already seeing in your life. When you confess your sin, you're saying, Lord, I, like you already know this of me. You know this to be true. But I need to say it. I need to own it. I need to, I need to admit it to you. So you start with confession and you, you begin there and you own your sin. And then you go on to, to seeing and, and understanding the ugliness of your sin. Like seeing just how horrific it is. Right? As the phrase goes, that great quote, till sin be bitter, Christ be not sweet. Like if you really want to appreciate what Christ did for you on the cross, you have to understand how awful your sin is and how, how, how much you've committed cosmic treason against the holy God, this thing that you keep retreating to and going back to over and over again. When you, but when you get it, when you see how awful it is, and you confess it to him, you see how awful it is, and then you, you ask for forgiveness and you receive forgiveness. And, you, and you, you experience that freedom, that lightness, that forgiveness, that and that, as a result, leads to this joy and this gratitude. You're like, I can't believe a holy God would see me, that awful person, and, for, and love me and forgive me. I'm forgiven. I'm free. I'm clear. I'm done. It's over. Right? Like, he, he will never look back. He will never hold me accountable to what his arm. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when you, when you experience that freedom, that leads to a heart of gratitude, which then is, marks you by love for him, and that love becomes the fuel in your tank to actually obey him. So, so he's given you everything you need to actually walk this step. Like right now, you could, today. You don't have to say like, well, okay, maybe I'm gonna be thinking about this this week. I'm, maybe I'll, like first I'm gonna need to buy a new journal from Barnes and Noble, and then next I'm gonna, like you don't, you don't there's nothing else you need to do. You could, this, this could happen today, right now in these next moments. You can start this process and start being free from this thing that's been, gripping you, right? The way he talks about it, it's like it's got its tendrils around your ankles. This, the, the, the sin that clings so closely, it's so intimate and personal to you. What is that thing? Get after it. Go to war against it. And then he says, this, the second part of this is that he says, there's more to it, right? Verse one, he says, that, lay, let us lay also, lay, lay aside every weight and sin. Every weight. So when he, so the sin, sin is more black and white, right? Because sin is, is an offense against our holy God. Sin is what is wicked in God's sight. 
weight, though, the weight, I love that he gets into this because it's a lot more nuanced. Sin is wrong. Weight is different. Weight is less obvious. It's not necessarily right or wrong. It's stuff in your life that hinders your progress, that hinders my progress. It keeps you running from your, it keeps you running at your peak. It keeps you from, from running optimally. It's kind of like when I was at the, I, I had the opportunity to work a side job when I was living in Chicago, going to school at Moody Bible Institute. Um, New Balance hired a bunch of us students to man a tent at the Chicago Marathon. 45,000 runners show up at 6 a.m. It's chilly, October, cold. They're all, and all these runners are bundled up in sweatshirts, hoodies, um, like pull off, like rip off pants or whatever, tear away pants, what do you call those things? Yeah, and, um, and moments before the race begins, they start this countdown, 30, 29, 28, and all of a sudden, you see all these clothes getting shed off. And then the, the horn sounds and off they go and there's this veritable pile of stuff left behind and a whole bunch of leeches just came and snatched it up. Just people were just like, oh, this is free, this is cool. But that was, that was the stuff, that was the stuff that was, they're like, this is not, this is unnecessary weight. As soon as it's time, I'm shedding this. Like, so what is that thing for you? And, it's, and the, the trick is, it's usually not something that's bad. It's usually not something that's wicked, right? It can, it can be a good thing, a house that is consuming to you, that you have to keep clean, or you have to decorate in a certain way for it to impress your friends. Get, like, stop it. Get, like, get, what is that thing that's, Maybe, maybe it's like a, an obsession with, with raising your kids in a certain way or making sure they're in all these different programs or such a well, you know, well-rounded this or that and you're obsessing, obsessing and it's distracting and family's good, yes. Obsession with it is not good. No, what is that thing that you need to address? Not just the sin, it's morally wrong, but the weights that are not necessarily wrong that, are, that also are, are keeping you from running optimally. When I was a youth pastor, um, there was a guy in high school, this is 15 years ago, 20, almost 20 years ago, there was a guy in high school named Brian who at the end of every lesson, no matter what we taught on, no matter what passage, he would always raise his hand and ask, is it a sin to blank and whatever, like, it would be like, is it a sin to drink wine? Is it a sin to get a tattoo? Is it a sin to grow my hair super long? Is it a sin to... Like, he would just, and he would name all kinds of, like, every time it was something different. And he was always asking, well, what's, like, like, is it a sin to put my arm around my girlfriend? Is it a sin to, like, snuggle with my girlfriend? Is it, is it a sin to, he would, he was constantly, constantly looking, where's the line? Where's the line? Where's the line, right? And the writer of Hebrews would say, stop that. That's super immature. Wrong question, right? He would say, it's, it's not just, like, get rid of the sin, Get rid of the weight. The question in this instance, if you're talking about weight, the question becomes, does it help me run? Does it help me to run? Does it help me to get after Jesus? If I'm at the store and I'm looking at this thing and I'm thinking about buying it, the question you should be asking is, will this help me run? Or if you're, uh, you know, planning your week and you're thinking about your schedule and you're, you're guiding your day, you're guarding certain times, Will this help me to run and to get after the Lord and be serious about my walk with him? So what, so what 
besetting sin is ensnaring you that you need to repent from, but what weight, what are the things of earth, the things that are around you, the things that your habits in life that you need to modify, shift, change, let go of in order to let go, shed that weight, and run more effectively. So everybody say, look back. Say, look up. No, no, no. Everybody say, look back. Say, let go. Now say, look up. All right, look up. Now look up to Jesus. Look up to Jesus. Look at verse two. He says, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So look, looking to Jesus. That phrase, looking to Jesus, it actually, it's, it's interesting. The, the verb that he uses, it's not, it's not just like, it's not just looking to, it's looking, it's like sweeping your attention, looking away to Jesus. It actually has the, the, in the language, it actually has the word for away in that word, built into the word. You look away to Jesus. Implying, it's not just about keeping your gaze on him, it's about keeping your gaze off of the other stuff of earth. Right? Intentionally getting your eyes off of the world. Deliberately ignoring your present circumstances, I should say not being consumed, like fighting the tendency to be consumed by your present circumstances. He wants you to run with joy. How do you do that? You do that by not looking down, not looking at your surroundings, not looking at your, even not even looking at your amazing accomplishments or your past, right? Don't look at those things. Don't keep your eyes on those things. Look away to Jesus. Some of you may need to hear this. Stop practicing the presence of your problems and start practicing the presence of God. And look away, keep your eyes and look away to Jesus. And, and why, he says why, why do we do this? Because he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Founder, some translations say author, uh, some of your translations in your laps probably say the author and perfecter of our faith. If you're, the, if you're the founder of a company, who gets to call the shots? You do, right? If you are the author of a story, who gets to write the plot? You do. If you're the author, listen, if you're the author, who gets to decide how much suffering is written into your life. Like the, the author does. Do you think your suffering is meaningless or, or pointless or unknown to God? It's not. If he's writing this story, he's writing your story, he's, write, he's writing every, every ounce of your pain into it as well. He knows. So when you, when you consider this, Actually, let's keep going. So, that, so he's the founder. He's the perfecter. It's in him. So if we're thinking about Hebrews chapter 11, we're, we're reading all of these wonderful testimonies that he, and the, the history, the redemptive history that he's crafting and creating. He's the perfecter, which means it's all coming to a culmination in him. It, it completes, and it's a full circle, comes to a full circle in Christ, our Savior. He is not just the beginner of our faith, the author of our faith. He's the, the founder of it. He's the perfecter of it. He's the one who makes it complete. In him, it is made complete. 
So it's, he's the beginning, he's the end. Our faith finds, it, our faith begins and ends in him. And because he's seated at the throne, right, he's, he's got the full authority and power to see this thing all the way through. The story that he's written, he's going to see it to an end. So he says, look to Jesus, look to this Jesus. But what's fascinating is the thing that he's telling you to primarily look at is actually Jesus's attitude, which brings it full circle for us, right? Because we said at the beginning, there is a way to run this Christian race that is marked by joy and faith and vision. And there's a way to run this race that's, that's encumbered with weariness and bitterness and like apathy and indifference. It's possible that some of you are in, are in a place right now where you're like, you know what? I like, I... I've been through some awful stuff and God let it happen. I've lost, I lost someone who is so dear to me. And, and you're gonna tell me God's, he's the author. He, that was on purpose. So why? why? Why can't I just cruise? I don't owe him anything, right? He, he knows my pain. He knows what, how much pain I am in. He would, he understand, if anybody understands, God understands why I'm not all up and running, firing away on all cylinders. He knows. Just get off my back. Let me chill. Let me cruise. I'm halfway through my life. I'm, I'm, I'm 44 years old. Right? I'm halfway through. I, I can ride on what I've got. Let me just cruise my way through the rest of my life. Some of, some of you... Maybe you haven't put it in those terms, but some of you have thought those thoughts, right? And, and what you do is you tend to shift the responsibility from you, you shift it onto the, the, the suffering, the pain. And you say, well, it's, it's because of what I've been through. It's because of who I lost. It's because of the, the pain I've experienced or the things that I've seen. If Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. If this is true, then there are at least a few implications. First, again, you at least cannot say that your suffering is meaningless. If God chose to enter this planet and chose to suffer if he chose to suffer, if God chose to suffer with us and for us, then you cannot say that suffering is meaningless. Second implication, you cannot say that suffering has stolen your joy. If there are those who would testify, who would witness to you and say that because of what was ahead, I endured and you can too. And if we see the culmination of this in our Savior, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now successfully seated at the right hand of the throne of, heaven, of, the throne of God. It, you cannot say that suffering has stolen my joy when in fact it's our joy that sustains us through and it's, it's Jesus' joy that sustained him through. Third implication is that joy is something that you will experience completely later, 
but you can actually grab hold of it as motivation now. Right now. And we see, we see this lived out perfectly in our Savior. I think, of, I think of Stephen, the martyr, the first Christian martyr, who, when he was being stoned, looked up to heaven and saw our Savior get up off the throne and stand in pride and in affirmation of this young man who's being killed for his faith, the first, first martyr of our faith locking eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who went before us, went before Stephen and showed him how to do it. So what would it look like, CBC? What would it look like for you to run? What would it look like? What sin in your life is ensnaring you, is wrapped around your ankles that you need to repent from? What other weight have you accrued that you need to address and shed in order to run, what habits can I create in my week to get my eyes on Jesus? So, one last time, just to help you remember, everybody say, look back, let go, and look up. I got it right. Let's, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for being our example. Thank you for making it possible for us to be free from some of these things that we want to be free from. We don't want, like none of us in this room like want to be in the same, like ensnared by the same stuff. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for making it possible. And I pray for those in this room now who are at, at, that, <clears throat> at that place in this moment where, they're, where, where they may be thinking, yeah, this is cool, but I just don't have the energy. I'm not in, like I don't, I don't want to. I pray, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you um, lead us into that place where we desire your glory greater than our you know, temporary feelings and sin. Set us free. I ask us in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.